When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Before we begin, the following podcast contains discussions about suicide. If you or anyone you know may be affected by this, there's a link in the episode notes to the Samaritan's website and phone number. And do consider if you should continue listening. I'm arriving in Toronto on a flight from the UK. It's just before three o'clock in the afternoon as I touch down. I'd left the Times newsroom in London to travel to Canada. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Take care. I picked up a hire car and made my way to downtown Toronto to check into my hotel. Hiya, uh, booking under James Beale. Yes, may I ask for your ID? A polite receptionist asks me about various deals and offers. So I can attach on photo for you so you can get points afterwards. I nod along and say a few things, but I'm slightly distracted. So we don't want you to miss a chance to become members? Because I'm here for one reason only, to find Kenneth Law. He's the man who's told me on a call that he's sent a poison hundreds of times to the UK, which I know has been taken by some young, vulnerable adults to end their lives. I want to confront him over these deaths and ask him why he's doing it. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and Sunday Times. I'm James Beale, Social Affairs Editor at The Times. This is Poison, a three-part podcast series about the suicide of a young British man and the questions it raises. Part three, an encounter in Toronto. If you've not yet listened to parts one and two, I'd urge you to do so. In them, we learn about the death of Tom Parfitt, a 22-year-old student, and I speak on an undercover call with Kenneth Law. Now, I want to tell you about someone I've not yet mentioned during this investigation. Her name is Nehar Raju. Nehar was a 23-year-old biomedical scientist who took her own life in Guildford, Surrey, 
less than six months after Tom Parfit died. She used the same substance that he did. And just like Tom, the seller was Kenneth Floor. In Nehar's case, the coroner flagged as a matter of concern that the substance was, and I quote, freely available to be purchased from the internet in lethal quantities for delivery within the UK, and also that no protection is afforded to vulnerable people prior to them making such purchases. At Nehar's inquest in September last year, the coroner was told that Surrey police had got in touch with Kenneth Law by email. They alerted him to the fact that Nehar had ended her life using his poison. Kenneth Law emailed them back, saying he was sad to hear about her death and told them that he would be ending sales of the substance. Evidently, he hasn't. And just like in episode two, we won't be identifying the substance so as not to alert people to it. There's a running joke that there are two seasons in Toronto, winter and construction. (laughs) The day after I landed, I was in downtown Toronto, where I'd met up with Jay, my producer in Canada. You can tell it's nearly spring. It's proven right today. The temperature had dropped and an icy wind whipped up around us as we walked through a maze of traffic and construction sites. Now, I didn't have an address for Kenneth Law but I had figured out from his social media profiles that he worked at a hotel, most likely in the kitchens. Oh, hi. Can you tell me if Kenneth Law is working today, please? He's off today. He's off today. Do you know when he's back in? Uh, Tomorrow. Give him a call tomorrow, please. Thank you. Thanks. I knew from his website that he uses a P.O. box at a specific address just outside of Toronto, where I suspect he may be running his operation from. A P.O. box is basically a lockable box which can be used as a postal address. It's just not at your house. They're usually found in post offices. I figured that if Kenneth Law wasn't at work, well, he might be there. Keep an eye on the directions for me, Jay. So we headed off to a mall. In 1.3 miles, turn right to Boulevard West. And we soon arrived at a sprawling shopping centre. Kind of goes on over there as well, doesn't it? Yeah. It was about as unremarkable a place as you can get. The post office was inside a pharmacy, close to a KFC, McDonald's and a pizza restaurant. Let's go, let's do it. We walked into the post office and there were two women behind the counter. They seemed friendly. Hey, ma'am. We're journalists. I'm looking for a PO box address here. Is this one? Yeah. Is it definitely Kenneth Law? Yeah, this is this person. One of them checked the records and confirmed what I thought that a Kenneth Law uses this PO box here at this nondescript shopping mall. So he rented this box for a long time. He's our customer. Does he come in quite often? Yes. Every day? No. Nobody <laughs> comes every day. Yeah, we are open 9 to 9. Anybody can come anytime. Okay. We don't have any other information. All right. You've been very helpful, so thank oh, you. No problem. I appreciate it. Tracking down Kenneth Law was never going to be easy. 
But as a journalist, you want to put questions to people and get answers. So I was pretty disappointed not to have pinned him down. However, I had confirmed that Kenneth Law was using this PO box regularly, and I'd been told by a colleague that he'd be back at work the next day. So the following morning, I went to the hotel. I checked Kenneth walks in the kitchen, but Kenneth is on vacation right now. I was yeah. told he was working today. No, he's not. He's on a vacation. I'm not really sure for how long, but he's not working today. I just checked his kitchen. But now, standing in the lobby, I was being told by staff that he was on holiday. Suspicious that they might be protecting him, I asked to speak to someone in the kitchens as I wanted to find out what was going on. An hour later, a couple of employees, dressed in chef whites, walked out together. Hi, I'm a journalist for the Times newspaper, Times of London newspaper. Okay. I'm looking for Kenneth Law. He's on vacation right now. Um, regarding? Regarding a story that we're working on. Uh, obviously, these are details that I want to put to Ken himself. Personally, can't share his personal information because yeah. I don't actually know who you are. Yeah. You know what well, I mean? Well, I'm, sure I'm, just, I'm just showing you my details. Well, I know, I, I, yeah. I know but I mean, yeah. like, I, I don't actually know yeah. who you are. But, so, but legally, I understand he's working today. No, he's on vacation. And I, right. I would have no reason to lie to you. I when, when's he due right back? Uh, At this point, I took out my phone and I showed them a photo of the man I believe is Kenneth Law. We're talking about this guy, Kenneth Law. Yes. Yeah. That's Kenneth Law. And he works here as a chef. It was the photo I had from the online CV. It was good to verify that the man who I thought was Kenneth Law was working there. But technically, whoever is selling this substance online could still have been using Kenneth Law's name, photograph and personal details as a front to shield their own true identity. So I had to find him, and that was proving difficult. There's nothing we can do. Yeah, there's nothing I can do for you. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. I had no reason to believe the chefs weren't telling me the truth. But it was odd that I'd been told one day he'd be in and the next he wasn't there. So with little luck at the hotel, the following day, I went back to the P.O. box. I was sitting in my hire car, watching the post office, the same one I'd been to the day before, where the two ladies had confirmed to me that Kenneth Law comes regularly. It was cold outside, minus four degrees. Then, after about six long hours, a rusty silver Lincoln town car pulled in, and out stepped a man wearing a pair of tan-coloured chinos, a dark hooded jacket, and a blue and red baseball cap. I recognised him immediately. I watched him carry several brown and white packages inside the post office, and when he came back out, I approached him. Hiya, Kenneth. Hi, how are you? Kenneth Law, uh, James Beale. I'm a, I'm a journalist. Oh, what are you um, doing here? I, I just wanted to ask you about... Yes. Um, um, why don't you send my car? It's a bit warmer, okay? I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions, that's all. Um, well, I, I prefer to kind of send the car. Just kind of chilly today. Okay, we've, we've linked seven deaths to your website. I mean, Kenneth. I really prefer to sit in the car. Okay. Right? It's the car here. Kenneth Law then ambled round to the driver's side of the car and left me by the passenger door. I tried it, but it was locked. I was worried he was about to drive off without answering any questions. But he didn't, and I got in the passenger seat alongside him. How did you find me, first of all? Are you tracking me? We're not tracking you, Kenneth, but 
I'm from the Times newspaper. Okay, what's the purpose of this particular uh, I'll, meeting? I'll, I'll, I will tell you now. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you. Which Times are you from? The Times of London. Okay, so you all came all the way here? Yeah. Just for this story? Yes. So you be kidding. We've linked seven people who've taken their own lives. Okay. Up to seven because yeah. of your website. I hear you. Why are you doing it? Why is your website okay. operational? Well, I mean, first of all, I choose not to answer your question. I just kind of came out of the blue, right? Okay. So this is coming quite new. And yeah. I don't know why you came all the way well, we from actually, the UK, right? To talk to me when you could call me on the phone. Well, Kenneth, we actually spoke to you on, on the phone call as well. When did I speak to you? You spoke to me last month. And what did I say to you? You told me on that call that uh -huh. some people might consider what you do to be criminal. I'm not answering the questions that you're asking, right? Okay. But like, you first call me under false pretenses by not identifying right. yourself. So your interest in the product, it's not, not true, right? For your well, own purpose. We're, we're trying to get answers, Kenneth, because uh, yeah, some... Well, I, some I, mean, I don't have to answer this. You, you, don't, you don't have to answer, right? Kenneth, but you're, uh, you're assisting suicide, are you not? Well, I'm not assisting anything. I'm buying, I'm selling a product. Right. But you know what people are using that product for. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I'm just telling you, yeah, people do do this, but it's not my business. It's their life. Yes, but if they're killing themselves it's, it's, because of your product. If you choose to, to take yeah. your own life, should I stop you immediately? Yeah. Should I do that? But you're providing them with a method to kill themselves. Uh, no, you can buy a gun. But why did you tell a police officer who spoke to you, a British police officer, mm -hmm. about the death of Nehal Raju? I don't even know who Nehal Raju is. So Nehal Raju was a British lady who died taking your product. That's very serious. I'm very serious but, about that, yeah. Yeah, but you told a British police officer mm -hmm. that you would stop selling. I haven't ran out of my batch. What's the problem with that? I have inventory to sell. Right. So I, mean, I, mean, I mean, I said that to him. And right. he said, right. He acknowledged it. But you're still killing people. No, 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 no. They are killing, committing suicides right. themselves. I mean, I'm not doing anything. I'm just selling a product. But, so why are you doing it? Why? Do, you know, do you know that it's legal to sell? It's not legal to assist suicide. I'm not assisting. How are you not assisting? I said, you, you, it's your choice. I'm not forcing you to buy anything. You told me on the call that you're doing this. Well, yeah, yeah, you're calling for... on false pretenses. I can say anything I want because I don't know what you're talking about, right? Right. You're saying you're interested. Yeah. And I said, yeah. I put to him that his excuses for what he simply calls his product don't add up that he was being disingenuous, that we knew why he'd really set up that website. He disagreed. I then asked him about Tom Parfit. I'm not interested what, what in about, talking anymore. Could you please leave the car? What about Tom Parfit, Ken? Could you please leave the car? Tom, you Tom, please leave the I, car? I will leave your car. Okay, thank Tom, you. I'll see you later. Tom, right? Tom Parfit died after taking your chemical. His dad, David, well, accuses you of effectively murdering his son. Well, I'm sorry, right? I mean, like, they have their intentions. I cannot stop them. Anthony I, Jones. I, I, I mean, perhaps you may want to stop people from buying knives. Anthony I mean, Jones. You're in the UK, you have no jurisdiction here. Goodbye. Anthony Jones. Goodbye. I tried to question him about Anthony Jones, the teenager from Michigan in the US, whose mother was being represented by the lawyer, Carrie Goldberg, who I spoke to in the last episode. He was 17. Goodbye, right? Kenneth, I just want to give you my... At this point... Kenneth Law clearly did not want to talk to me anymore. That's for you. So I handed him a letter with my contact details and further questions for him to consider. But he threw it out of his car. I don't want it. It's a sort of garbage. I, I don't want it. So when did you get back from?
have. A few days ago. Yeah, how was it? It was uh, extremely cold. Yeah, I imagine. Back in London, I was in the Times studios with my producer, Will. When you're in the car with him, what was he like? I found his tone starkly different to how he was in our undercover call. That time, he put on sort of a deceptive facade of someone who cares for people. Uh, a man motivated by compassion. Yeah. Um, but when confronted about his website in person, uh, there was no hint of compassion for those who'd come to him seeking to end their lives. He sort of said to you that he was simply selling a product. That's how he saw it. Yeah. I mean, he was, as he said, simply selling a product. But it's a product that's costing lives. Obviously, it was a short chat and you couldn't put everything to him. I think it's like five or six minutes in total. Um, but have you been in contact with him since? Yep, I've contacted him since we spoke. I asked him about 17-year-old Anthony Jones and if he'd have anything to say to his mother, Tonya. Obviously, he didn't answer any of my questions about Anthony when we were in the car. That was the bit where he basically kicked you out of the car. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, I also pressed him on the dozens of countries he'd said he'd sent this poison to. I tried to ask him which ones they were. I also pressed him further on the fact that he in this call in the undercover call yeah. in the undercover call yeah um, yeah that he'd asked people to destroy correspondence and documentation before they took the substance right and i asked him if he had anything to say to his own claims on the phone that he'd sent the substance to hundreds of people in the uk and that many many people had died what did he say to this he's not responded Right, let's move on to the police, specifically Surrey police, because they've investigated Tom Parfit and Neha Raju's deaths. Now, did you have any questions for them? Yes, uh, Tom Parfit died in October 2021. Yeah. But it took the force almost a whole year to get the name of Kenneth Law's website. I asked why, when they did eventually email Kenneth Law in October last year, and he didn't respond, why did they not follow it up? What did they say? They didn't respond specifically to this point, but they said that it would be inappropriate to comment on the case of Tom Parfit because his inquest remains ongoing. Okay, and what about Neha Raju? Neha died six months after Tom. Um, Surrey police said that officers had reviewed the website and got in contact with Kenneth Law, but that there was no evidence that the items on his website were being advertised or knowingly sold for the purposes of suicide. Right. And during your chat in the car, there was one point it seemed that Kenneth Law suggested that when Surrey police had got in contact with him regarding Neha's death, he told them that he hadn't run out of his batch yet, these are his words, uh, and that he had an inventory to sell. And then he said to you, that they, that Surrey police, acknowledged that. Is that true? Yeah, it appears to be true, yes. Um, Surrey police said they had no powers to compel him to stop his sales. As, quote, he was not known to be doing anything illegal. Uh, I then asked if they'd contacted the Canadian authorities, but they didn't respond to that question. Okay, we know Tom died six months before Neha. Both deaths have been investigated by the same police force, that's Surrey Police. Have they connected the two cases? No, they appear not to have. Uh, but they did say that they only knew of two cases of people who'd bought this poison from Kenneth Law in the last three years. And have Surrey Police said anything else to you? Yes, they did. Uh, they said that all deaths 
where there is a suggestion of suicide involving this substance are shared with the National Police Chiefs Council lead for suicide prevention and nationally monitored. They also said, and I quote, our force suicide advisor also works closely with partner agencies in health and social care to flag methods being used and support work on reducing the risks to vulnerable people. Right. What about the question of assisting suicide? In this country, what type of sentence might you get if found guilty of that? In the UK, by law, it carries a custodial sentence of up to 14 years in jail. And the substance or poison, do you know anything about the legality of it? Yeah, so the substance is reportable under the Poisons Act in the UK. What does that mean? It basically means that retailers must alert the authorities if they suspect it's being bought to cause harm to the buyer or others. Uh, However, those rules don't apply to firms based outside of the UK. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Since Tom's death... We're now 18 months on. How have things been for you? My life's changed considerably. I've been really lucky to to have support from the local church, from friends, from family. I'm talking with David Parfit, Tom's father. Obviously, I'm I'm not the only person impacted by it. My my ex-wife, my son, my daughter his friends, you only start to understand the impact of somebody taking their own life when you have conversations with his old friends or just people who he touched the lives of. I don't think he realised how loved he was. In the previous episode, after listening to my phone call with Kenneth Law, David told me he considered him to be the man who killed his son. But beyond the seller of the poison, is there anything else that he believes is to blame for Tom no longer being here? I prefer not to look at it, that anybody's to blame for Tom's death. That's happened. I can't change it. The only focus is to prevent this happening to other people. And not just in a one-off, not to stop people like Ken Law, but also the changes that need to be made in the process that allow us to be in a situation where people like a Ken Law can exist for a long period of time and do so much damage. 
Do you blame yourself, David? Inevitably, yes. I think as a, as a parent for the, of somebody that's taken their own life, uh, in his early 20s, there's always things I'll, I'll look at about what we could have done better. I do feel guilty about it, yes. I don't want other people to have to go through this. Yeah, I'm sitting here today knowing that there will be other people who are going to be taking their own life because they're being able to get this substance. I just can't believe we live in a world where that just hasn't been shut down. What do you think needs to change? I think it's the process that's at fault here. The police seem satisfied with a likely verdict at the inquest that Tom took his own life, which is the right verdict. He did take his own life. But they're not interested or they're not competent enough to understand how he acquired this substance and the role that this man took. There is just a complete lack of willingness to look at this as it should be looked at, a complete lack of understanding. And people are dying because of that. The police are failing in their duty to protect us. How would you like Tom to be remembered? I'd like him to be remembered as a young man who had his heart in the right place, was a friendly, clever young man who unfortunately just had his demons and found it difficult to deal with them. I'm hearing you through the headphones. Yeah. If you could just introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do, and how long you've been doing it. My name is Rory O'Connor. I'm Professor of Health Psychology at the University of Glasgow, where I lead the Suicidal Behaviour Research Laboratory. And I've been doing research into suicide and self-harm, I think it's for now 28 years. I'm speaking with Professor Rory O'Connor, who as well as being a leading academic on suicide, is also the president of the International Association for Suicide Prevention. Two years ago, he published a book called When It Is Darkest, Why People Die by Suicide and What We Can Do to Prevent It. I think it was in the summer of 1994, I got a phone call from a person who would turn out to be my PhD supervisor saying there was funding to do work on suicide. Rory is dressed in a colourful shirt as we chat. He's cheerful but earnest, clearly passionate about what he does. And really, I haven't looked back ever since. When making this podcast, Rory, in the first episode, I say, when it comes to suicide, I believe it's never too late to talk to someone and change their mind. I presume I'm right in saying that. Absolutely. Suicide is preventable right up until the final moment. Now, I know that's not much comfort to those who are bereaved by suicide. Because certainly my experience of people who are suicidal over the years, they struggle with understanding why they feel the way they do. And at the heart of the book is a model of suicide that I've developed, which is this framework to help us understand at least two things. One is the emergence of suicidal thoughts. Why is it that suicidal thoughts emerge in some of us and not others? 
And then crucially, the second part is, thankfully, most people who have thoughts of suicide don't act on their thoughts. And so the, the model also tries to understand who is more likely to cross a precipice from thinking about suicide to acting on their thoughts or sadly dying by suicide. Is talking about suicide helpful, Rory? I mean, you talk in your book about the big S in a way that people used to talk about the big C when referring to cancer. Do we still have a stigma around suicide? Absolutely. We've made some progress, some destigmatization around mental health and some around suicide. Talking about suicide in a way which recognizes that there is a future, that the suicidal thoughts will abate, they will recede, and the possibility for a future which is fulfilling and without suicidal thoughts is possible. I've been looking at the fact that there are young people, particularly young adults, in their early 20s, and in the case of our investigation, even a teenager dying by suicide. Are young people more susceptible or more at risk? One of the things we've known before the pandemic is that the, that the suicide rates in young people have been increasing, sadly, really sadly. So if we look at the the sort of su- the suicide statistics, the stark reality is that before puberty, suicide is rare. But then as you hit puberty and through into your early 20s, that's where you start to see those teenage years. That's the steepest increase in onset of mental health problems, the steepest increase in onset of self-harm, suicidal behavior. And that's in part because adolescence and young adulthood is a really turbulent time. We know the brain is still developing until your mid-20s. Now, that's something we didn't know 15 years ago. And so what we think in part represents that turbulence of adolescence and young adulthood is that mismatch between your emotional development and your sort of cognitive development, your capacity to plan and solve your emotional and social problems. In our podcast series, we've spoken to David Parfit, the father of a 22-year-old university student called Tom Parfit, who took his own life. He felt guilty about his son's death. Is that common? Absolutely. The sad reality is that any of us who lose a loved one to suicide, guilt is too often one of the emotions that we feel. Guilt is understandable, but we should never, we can't be held responsible for the actions of another individual. The reality is there's so many different factors that lead to suicide, and it's so difficult to predict on an individual level. So please, please be much more compassionate towards yourself. While investigating this story, I was conscious that Tom Parfit had struggled with his mental health and had bouts of depression. These phrases, mental health, depression, came up again and again as we chatted. For most of us, I think there is an assumption that those who are being treated for depression or who are in contact with mental health services are more at risk of suicide. I asked Professor O'Connor if this was true. That's a complicated one because in the Western world, our general consensus is that the key driver to people dying by suicide is mental illness. And yes, for many, many people, especially in Western countries or high-income countries, There's an often cited statistic that 90% of people who die by suicide have a mental illness. I don't think it's quite as high as 90%, but I don't dispute that there's a strong relationship. But that doesn't help us understand 
which individuals more likely to die. And I often cite this statistic, which is, although there's a strong relationship, if I flip it around and ask myself, what percentage of people who are treated for depression take their own life? The answer is very different from the 90% I just mentioned. It's about 4%. About 4% of people who are treated for depression end their life. So what that suggests then is the overwhelming majority of people with mental health problems, in this case depression, never become suicidal and never die by suicide. And during this podcast series, I tracked down a man called Kenneth Law who was selling a substance online that people are buying. I believe his website should be taken down. Am I right in thinking this? And how important is it to limit these methods? It's very important to limit these methods. But the challenge is, no sooner do they get taken down and maybe they pop up somewhere else. So I think it's really important we do whatever we can to restrict access to these lethal means. And especially in the context you've just mentioned of access to multiple people, I'm 100% behind that. But it's a really challenging, a challenging ask. Do you think we're going after the symptom, not the cause with that? Or do you, do you think it's important to do both, I guess? Oh, you have to do both. What's absolutely abundantly clear is suicide prevention takes a whole range of interventions. If you look at the evidence base for what works to prevent suicide, large-scale public health interventions like restricting access to the means of suicide, for example, have been shown to be, have the strongest evidence base. It takes prevention, intervention, and postvention, bring those all together that's what suicide prevention is about. Earlier this month, I contacted Kenneth Law's local police force about what we'd found. Last week, they confirmed to me that they'd begun an investigation into his activities. I also got in contact with the domain provider of Kenneth Law's website. It's now been taken down, so you cannot buy the substance from it. While making this podcast, it's become clear to me that this substance is not being properly scrutinised. Kenneth Law has been allowed to get away with sending this poison through the post. But sadly, I know he won't be the only person doing it. How many more Kenneth Laws will there be out there? This case raises serious questions over the lack of proper regulation around this substance and the way in which suicides are investigated by the police. And since releasing the first episode of this series, further people have got in contact with me. They believe they know of others in the UK who've taken their own lives after buying Kenneth Law's poison. I'll continue to investigate. There was one person I had not yet spoken to, but I felt it was important to hear from them. Hello. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. Tom Parfit's mother, Julia. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. It's obviously a really big deal. She wanted to talk about her son and had prepared some words. Tom was such a fine young man full of interesting opinions and comments on life. He was part of the group of three children, a very special family group. His passing has caused such a huge sense of loss. I find it hard to talk about him in the past tense. I relive the events surrounding his death daily. 
I remember him at the seaside just before he started university, so happy and relaxed playing with the family dog Comet. After much deliberation on a whiteboard, the children had agreed on the name Comet, which was originally suggested by Tom. Something I really treasure is the clay cast of his hand, the hand I used to hold when he went to nursery. I keep this next to the imprint I have of his fingertip, given to me by David from the funeral directors. My baby boy died in such a lonely way. As I try to process that, I am also so relieved and grateful that the site Tom purchased the poison from has been taken down. To anyone feeling suicidal, remember how loved you are and the devastation you would leave behind if you took your own life. After reading me her thoughts, I asked Julia if there was anything of Tom's that she still kept to remind her of him. Well, I, I still have his rucksack in my lounge with some bits and pieces in it. Next to my bed is a collage of the children. And there's a wonderful picture that Tom drew of me playing the piano. Wow. Yeah. And there's also a great picture of the three of the children at the pub, actually, a couple of years ago. Well, well not a couple of years, a couple of years before he died. I also have a couple of T-shirts of Tom's, which have his smell on them, which I keep in my room. I keep them in a bag, though, because I don't want to lose the smell of Tom. And I don't, I don't know if this came across in what, what David was saying about Tom, but... Um, Tom liked to go around dressed in a blanket quite often in the house to feel cosy. I see. And I, I have the blanket that he used to wear a lot in my cupboard. Lovely, Julia. There's some really nice memories there of Tom. Is there anything else you'd like to say? No, I mean, he was just, he was such a wonderful son and, and he was a lovely brother as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we all miss him terribly and, and we just can't have him back and... That's the thing that I'm still trying to accept, that I can't have him back. Yeah. And I and I, I wonder if he really knew how loved that he, he was that he, and that he still is, you know. Mm-hmm. I am really grateful that some good will come out of it and hopefully we'll, we'll manage to... Su- suicide is, is so common, it's... It's so much more common than I realised before. And as a society, we have to try and come to terms with why that is. Absolutely. I think that's something we've definitely learned through um, through making this podcast. And Yeah. Well, really good to speak to you, Julia. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for including me. No worries. We'll keep in touch, all right? Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye. Tom Parfit was born on the 30th of September, 1999, and he died on the 28th of October, 2021. He was 22 years old. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, James Beale. The producer is Will Rowe. Production assistance was by Emma Taggart. The producers in Canada are Jay Coburn, 
and Casey Jensen. Special thanks to Sam Chantarasak for additional production support throughout the series. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by David Crackles. Please remember, if you or anyone you know may have been affected by this episode, we've put a link to the Samaritan's website and phone number in the description notes of this podcast. And if you have any information or know Kenneth Law, please don't hesitate to get in contact with me. My email address is also in the description notes. Also, tomorrow, there'll be an additional episode going out which features my full conversation with Professor Rory O'Connor on how we can work to prevent suicide. Thanks for listening.